Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Kimlin Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of the life. And I hope you have been enjoying our dedicated month to Hispanic heritage. Um, we have been having some great stories, a wonderful time talking to our guests, and, and I hope you're really enjoying that. We do have some merchandise available. I wanted to make sure that we told everybody about that on our Minority Money Merch so you can get Minority Money merch on MinorityMoneyMerch.com. And we actually do have some new merchandise there around Hispanic Heritage Month. So I'm not going to ruin it for you. I want you to go ahead and check that out. Please let us know what you think about it. Well, hopefully you guys feel the same way, but please give us some comments about that. Either reach out to us on social media or you can do that by leaving a review. So today, we are going to keep... Staying in that same vein with the Hispanic Heritage Month. And today we are joined by Jen Kempia. I'm super pumped to have her on today. She's a fellow podcaster. I don't want to like give, you know, tell you everything about her. I'll let her just jump right in. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here, Emlyn, and I love what you're doing with the podcast. So I'm excited for our conversation today. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And what's the name of your podcast? Don't listen to that. It's called Her Dinero Matters. So I also talk money, but I'm focused on what I call the U.S. Latina. So the Latina that has been in the U.S. for a while is established and has a better understanding of the financial system, but is really wanting to gain more confidence or what I call become the reina of your money. Hmm. I like it. So give the listeners a little background about yourself, getting them, you know, getting into what you're doing and just, you know, trying to get money. Sure. So why am I even doing Herding Edo Matters? And I'll just start there is because it takes me back to my childhood. And I'm from Colombia. I was born in Bogota. And back in that time, and I'm aging myself, but back in the 70s, early 80s, that was a time of angst. That was a time where the economy was not good. That was a time where there was a lot of insecurity. And my father, he's American. So I was born with dual citizenship and there was a lot of stress with my parents around money. It was hard for my father to maintain a job as educated as he was. And they were, had two kids. They were raising two kids, myself and my brother, and money was a huge issue. And I saw that, the arguments, the stress. So that was like back in Colombia. So in the end, we ended up moving to the U.S. And they made the decision to move to the U.S. for, of course, like everybody says, for a better life, to live the American mm -hmm. dream, right? And still money was an issue. I heard a lot of, we can't afford it. We don't have the money. And I was that 10-year-old child. Normally kids are like, mom or dad, can you give me some money so I can go to the store, buy some ice cream or whatever it is. I was not that kid because they had already told me and I've heard time and time again, we don't have the money. So at 10 years of age, in my day, I was allowed to babysit newborns. Probably this day, we don't allow 10-year-old kids babysitting. 
So I learned to be really self-sufficient and independent. Granted, I couldn't at 10 years old go and, and live on my own and everything. I couldn't be fully independent, but I knew the importance of the hard work. I knew the importance of having money to be able to do things. So then let's fast forward to college, graduate school. I met my husband and we ended up getting married. My husband is in the Air Force and we ended up moving. And I was at that time, considered myself very good with money in terms of I read the personal finance books. And because I was bound and determined that I was going to be in a better position than my parents were, right? Just because of the difficulty and the challenges that they had. And so I felt like I was doing that. So my husband and I ended up getting, well, then we weren't married. We ended up getting married. We moved across and we started living life. And I felt pretty confident, took over the finances. Then 10 years later, we were celebrating our 10 years anniversary. He was deployed. We had PCS or we had moved. And usually with a new move, I had to readjust the budget and all that stuff. So I was looking at the finances and it hit me hard. We hadn't really moved the needle. We were still in debt. We were continuously depleting the emergency savings. We were also borrowing, and you're going to probably <laughs> make a face in this. We were borrowing for, from his TSP or for the one 401k. And the worst part of it, we weren't in a bad financial spot. We just weren't moving the needle. But for me, the worst part of it all was people, family members, and friends were looking at me, asking me for financial advice because I was known as, oh, she's so good with money. But yes, I had a lot of shame. I had a lot of guilt and that weighed on me heavily. And I'm like, what in the world am I doing wrong? How is it that I'm supposed to be so savvy around money because I've read personal finance books, but yet we didn't really have it together. Granted, we weren't a bad financial spot, but we hadn't moved in it. We hadn't achieved those goals of paying off debt. We hadn't built the emergency savings because we continuously depleted. And we ended up borrowing from the TSP or the 401k that I don't know your stance on that, but in my stance is you need to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> and so it started, sent me on a journey to really figure out what am I doing wrong? And I started asking myself questions. Okay. So I'm supposedly this good saver. And as I was asking my questions and reflecting I don't know if you've experienced this, Emily, but you start asking questions and the answers just come, right? And all of a sudden, the book I call The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, I don't know, I can't say arrived at the doorstep. <laughs> I just remember it appeared somehow. I don't know if someone recommended it, that I was having a conversation. So it's The Secrets of the Millionaire Mind by T. Harvecker. And at first, I was a little hesitant to read that book because I remember anything with millionaire or rich or wealthy, it gave me this icky feeling. And but I was like, you know what? I'm in a bad spot right now. And I took it on as a responsibility because I was the one managing the finances. So I read that book and it just really blew my mind because what I realized then was that that traditional money advice that we're taught, save more, spend less, get out of debt, that was just a small part <laughs> of it. The bigger part was our mind. I realized the huge impact of our money stories, which it really 
impacts how we think, how we feel about money, how we manage money. So by our money story, I mean, how were we brought up around money? What did we see? What did we hear? What did we experience? So I realized that I was continuing to recycle the thoughts, pretty much the sayings that my parents would say, we don't have the money, we can't afford it. And from recycling that, those thoughts, I was creating that reality in a sense, right? And that's when I started shifting my, how I thought about money. I started becoming more confident. I started creating a more of abundant mindset just by changing, really catching those thoughts and changing those thoughts into ones that serve me. And then from there, that's when I started to create this business later on. And I realized that I needed to really focus on bringing this message to light of, yes, save more, spend less, and get out of debt is important. But there's a bigger component of our financial life that a lot of people, more people are talking about it now, but that is not talked about enough. And that's our money mindset. So that's why I started doing the podcast. It was originally called Her Money Matters. And I started five years ago. And then several years later, I started asking myself, I'm Latina. Why am I not talking to Latinas? Because you and I know, and those listening probably know, that amongst the women that in that gender wage gap, the Latinas are at the very bottom of that ladder. They have the biggest gender wage gap amongst all women. And so I felt like I need to go where I can serve better or not better, but where I'm needed. Just because when I started the Her Money Matters podcast, there wasn't a lot of podcasts about women and money. So I felt like I did that several years. And then I'm like, there's no podcast for Latinas and money. Or So I decided to go in that route. And it's just been so amazing and wonderful. And I just want to turn it back for anything. Nice. I think when you begin to carve out that niche of people that you're trying to serve, they will find you. It's amazing what happens, right? Like now there's a lane for Latina women to go and get information and talk about mindset, talk about money, talk about other things that other topics that you have on the show. And I think prior to that, there's, you know, where do you go? Right. And I know there's several podcasts now, but when you started, there was none for women, period. And then they go and very few. Yeah. Well, very, yeah, very, I very mean, few. But I, mm-hmm. to take it and even make it more specific, I think that takes a lot of courage and love that. Like, I think it's awesome. That was kind of the thoughts when I had minority money. I was going to name the podcast, but reasonably changing the complexion of wealth. That was going to be the name of it. And I was like, that's cool, but it's kind of confusing. <laughs> what does it mean? And when I talked about complexion, some one of the people that I was talking about the name, they're like, well, you know, complexion kind of sounds like, well, I think complexion is like, I think for girly stuff. She's like, I think like makeup and you know, talking about, I was like, okay, well, okay. And so, but then the whole thing was to be for minorities. And I was like, mm-hmm. we need that. So I was like, you know what? If people don't listen because they don't want to listen to a podcast on minority money, well, that's not my problem, but I know there's going to be people that are going to listen because that's what they want. And so I commend you for taking that step. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm glad that you're doing that because one thing that I have found, it was a hard decision because I had loyal listeners, right? Or I still have loyal listeners and I knew I was going to be losing them. And my podcast, 
it grew pretty well, uh, had pretty good mentions. I was recommended by the podcast, which has nothing to do with finance, by My Favorite Murder. They recommended my podcast to their listeners. And that like, this was when it was Her Money Matters. And that just skyrocketed and the podcast just because they have such a huge following. They're a huge podcast, which was interesting because I'm like, finances, true crime. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. And then when I switched, I was like, I was definitely ready for a decrease in listenership because I'm like, you're going to listen to a podcast where you can relate and connect to. And so naturally, some listeners left and that's okay. I still love them, but so many more opportunities have opened since mm-hmm. I've done this. And people coming to me, I've been looking for you, or you are the first Latina that I found talking about money, things like that. So you have to follow your guts. I really, really, truly believe that and do what you feel you're meant to do. I totally agree 100%. You did mention the Latina gender wage gap. Let's talk about that a little bit. I think that the date, the actual date's in November, right? Correct. I don't know the exact day off the top of my head, but really with the Latina gender wage gap, it's, as I mentioned earlier, is where Latinas get paid the least out of all the subgroups of women. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that for me is really important to discuss in terms of Latina gender wage gap, because what I notice every November, it's like, rah, 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 this, we need to get paid equally. And that's fine and dandy. Can you explain what that is? I know what it is. I want the listeners to know exactly what it is. So tell us what that is. What is the the wage gap? The wage gap is, and you're putting me on the spot because I don't have the exact numbers. Well, you don't need the definition, but I mean, you know. Right, right, right. But basically, when the white male makes a dollar, the Latina is going to take more than a year to catch up to that dollar. And the Latina is the one that takes the longest to catch up to the dollar. And of course, there's a lot of factors when why women have that gender wage gap. They leave the workforce. I've done that to take care of the kids. They don't necessarily negotiate as much. There's a lot of factors in that. Is that enough explanation? I want to make sure. I think it's good. I just usually, the way I explain it, and when I explain it, because I know that we have uh, equal pay day for Black women was October, uh, August 13th. So what that means is it takes what a white male makes in a year. It takes a black woman that year and eight months to get mm-hmm. to the same make of wage salary that he has. And what you're saying is for the Latinas, it takes that year and another two. 11 months for mm-hmm. them to get paid the same amount of money as a white male. Correct. Absolutely. and. I think, but what I always like to, when I talk about the gender age gap, or the, especially more the Latina gender age gap, is that it's important to know, or it's important to bring light to the issue. And I agree with that, right? Like I said, in November, everybody goes, rah, 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 this isn't, and you know, we need to get played equally. But I think it's also just as important or even more important to work. I think the work starts within ourselves, Right. And because, yes, we can talk about it at work and rally and everything, companies need to pay more, but we can also work on ourselves and becoming more confident and having clarity in our money. Because once we become more confident and have more clarity in our money, 
we are more apt to better advocate for ourselves, whether it's in a traditional nine to five, if you have a business and charging the value of your services, right? So I think that's a missing part piece in the discussions of the Latino gender wage gap, even just gender wage gap in general, is that we focus more on how unequal it is and how unjust it is that we forget to really have discussions around, let's also work on ourselves because the more we empower ourselves, the more we educate ourselves, the more confident we are going to advocate naturally and more effectively when we do this. I agree with exactly what you're saying, but what I think happens is you have to, like, let's give some context to what's going on. So you have a lot of people that are going into the workforce, especially minorities, uh, when they're getting into those jobs that have higher wages, typically we're the, you know, we're the first one in our family to graduate college. We're the first one in our family to go get that good paying job. And we're just happy to have a good job. You know, so when they tell us that, you know, they're going to pay us more money than we've ever made, even though it's way less than any money that they're paying maybe a white male in the same position, we're just happy to get there. And we're just happy to have that opportunity to be, you know, wearing that suit to work every day or whatever, the, the prestige of the position, if you will, that we don't go back and say, okay, wait, am I getting paid the same? And then we find ourselves in that position two years later saying, wait, hold on, they just hired him and he's making more money than I am. And I've been here for a year. How did that happen? And that's what's happening. So I think when we go into these places for our interviews, negotiating our salary is always what we need to do. And I, we went through this the other day. One of my um, wife's friends was getting ready to you know, look at another job. And I was like, well, before she does it, let's you know, how is she negotiating? I actually had a, a podcast episode where I had a negotiation expert on the show. He has a salary negotiation guide. So we sent that to her and said, hey, this is what you should be doing. It's so boring to us to have those conversations when someone is trying to employ us. Like, we don't want to do anything to mess up the employment. However, you look at the time that that, like, you know, if you're getting $10,000 less, $20,000 less, and you take that and you do the math on it over the years that you worked there, and not only on the 401k contributions that you're missing out on because of the wage they increase like it's a like the cumulative damage that that does to your overall wealth is much deeper than what most people ever really realize what that ten thousand twenty thousand fifty thousand dollars a year extrapolates out to over the career that you stay with that company and it also affects you and impacts you as you leave that job because you're at a lower pay scale so now when you go to the other place you're trying to get in there's a professional confidence that comes with more money that you make and if you're not making that kind of money already and no, you're not aware of it, it just really, really messes with long story myself. Absolutely. And I think it's also, I know in the Latino community and I think in African-American community, we are taught to just be grateful for what we have. Like it's better than nothing, right? And I think that's just really a part of it as well. I think when we're, I know we're going to talk about one thing I would like so when you're going through this kind of stuff, like with the pay gap, I think it's so important that you come into this understanding how your budget is, right? When you're going to that job and you're going to look into getting, you know, a new job or starting a job or leaving a job, if you don't have your budget in mind, you need to know what you need to make to make this job worth it. Like, especially if it's out of town, you take all those kind of things into account. So anti-budgeters, 
really do have a budget, right? And what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is there's a lot of talk, especially from quote unquote, I'm an anti-budgeters, I don't budget. And I'm like, yes, you do. Because in order to map out the month, really the budget is your map. It's the plan of how you are going to distribute, spend, save that money. That's what a budget is. And in order for those anti-budgeters to do what they're doing with their money, they created a budget, whether it be just on a piece of paper that they said, okay, we have this amount of money. Maybe they're not using a spreadsheet or maybe the traditional budget they don't do because that's really all it is. It's a plan. So I find it interesting the anti-budgeters say, I don't budget. I know where they're coming from in terms of budget, mm-hmm. that word, a feel to it. And so they want to make people more comfortable. But the danger in that is that people that maybe are just starting out in terms, maybe the younger generation and just starting out to manage their money, they're hearing these people that are anti-budgeters say, I don't budget. You don't really need a budget. Yeah. Then yeah. that's not a good message, right? Because it may be those anti-budgeters can be talking to those people that already have created the budgets and really have gotten their system in place because, you know, the budget, like I said, is just a map and it's mm-hmm. where you reference mm-hmm. and you still have to take that budget and you have to implement, which is with your system, what, however you do that. And if you have neither and you're hearing anti-budgeters say, I don't budget, I'm anti-budgeting and I'm doing fantastic, there's a lot that's being missed out in that message. And for me, that's what irks me. It's not that, you know, they're doing fine and that's fantastic, but they really are budgeting because you can't manage your money without a plan. Yeah, exactly. And I think the name of budget is just like it's been beat up pretty bad. So what I like to tell my clients is I just talk about conscious spending and they're like, well, what do you mean? What do you like to do? Well, I like to do X, Y, and Z. I don't spend money on that. Well, what about the other stuff? Don't spend money on that. Are you serious? Like, yeah, don't spend money on it. Be conscious about where your money is going. Because what we do, you know, we do a great job. Because there's a lot of people that think they have a budget, but they're just tracking what their money is doing. Not budgeting, telling your money where to go. You're tracking where it wants. That's not budgeting. And I did that first off mm-hmm. when we first got that's I thought I had mm-hmm. a budget, but really I just had a checklist. It was literally the bills, the money coming in, and I marked it off as soon as it got paid. But that's not a budget. That was just really a checklist for your bills, is what I had initially. And that's where most people are at. So then they're like, Well, you need a budget. And they're like, No, I don't need a budget. Well, you need to consciously spend your money. And I think it really has to do with like quite frankly, I think it has to do with your money storage. Right. And you say that one of the things you say that the money stories are a bigger part of your financial picture than we actually think. And I think, you know, you know, talk to us a little bit about that. Like how you mentioned it in the bit when we first started talking, but I just look, you know, a little bit on that, like how your money picture, your money story become you know a big part of your financial picture. Right. So with the money stories in my journey in this whole process, I come to realize there's three types of money stories. And they are your past money story. So what you saw, that is done. That is done and you can't do anything about it in terms of the past. You can't change the past. And so what you saw, what you heard, what your experience. So you need to think about what are some of the memories that you have. 
But the important part here is that you have to really be aware of it. It's not just like, oh, I had this memory. Okay, well, what does this really mean for you? And then you have your present money stories. You'd need to take a moment and just take out a sheet of paper or a notebook and write down whatever comes to your mind. There's no wrong way to do this. It's just ask thinking about in the past. What did you hear? What did you experience? What did you see that has to do with your money? Any of those memories and write down what that was for you. And then you're going to ask yourself, okay, what are my thoughts right now on money? What are things that continue to come to my mind? And you write those things out. It could be we can't afford it. It could be we don't have the money. And then you're going to compare those two stories, the past and the present. And you want to see, are there any similarities? Are you repeating some of that cycle? And if you're seeing that your past money story, there's some of the same themes to your present money story, then that's a part of what's very highly likely that's keeping you, holding you back. So you want to really acknowledge what your past money story is seeing how it compares to your present money story. And if there's any limiting beliefs in there or any scarcity mentality, it's a chance to shift it and and really change it to help you better. And then you have the third story is your future money story. And your future money stories, what do you want to think about money? Do you want to get up and be excited uh, first thing instead of fearing and running the other way and not really wanting to look at your bank account? How do you want to live? Where do you want to live? Those things that we hear about, you know, we want to dream about money, but you want to have those things written down. I'm very adamant about writing those things down because when you write it, you have more clarity. And so what does it have to do with our financial pictures? It's the biggest component in my book. I write about what I call the money headquarters. And this is all, of course, it's my book. So it's my own interpretation and opinion. So you got to take what you like about it and leave the rest. But really with what the money headquarters, I break up the money headquarters is imagine when you're building a home and what goes first, the foundation. And the foundation, if you don't build a strong foundation, you're always going to have issues with the house, right? And so that foundation is what I consider the mindset, those money stories. So you'd need to make sure that those are strong before you continue to build. And as you're continuing to build, There's the money actions and the money skills. So the money mindset is 60% of your money headquarters. So your money headquarters is your financial life, in essence. And then are your money actions. And your money actions are having conversations around money. It's really doing, yes, paying off debt, those type of things. And so that goes on. That's the next level of that money headquarters. And the final piece is the money skill. So that's what we think about the budgeting. And what's critical to understand here is that we most focus on the money skills. When we're talking about financial education, we are focusing, you need to budget, you need to pay off that debt. But it's only a small percentage. That's about 10% of, again, my interpretation of your money headquarters. So again, the money stories are a crucial part because they take a big part of what that money headquarters or your financial life, they have a big impact. Yeah. And we don't think about that because we focus on the smallest piece. It's important, obviously, but it's, we focus on that aspect. Uh, You know what? I like that. The uh, money headquarters and the whole rationale behind it. So I like your idea of 
your interpretation of it. I think that's really cool. So you mentioned the book, like uh, Her Money Matters. Yes, you notice not hurting it matters as I've evolved. So the book, actually, I never anticipated writing a book. If you were to ask me three, four, mm-hmm. five years ago, would I write a book? I'd be like, this is why a podcast. No, absolutely not. I wouldn't write a book. That was how I was thinking. And then as a result of the podcast, which was then Her Money Matters, I had a book publisher, mm-hmm. a small book publishing company mm-hmm. approach me about writing the book. And at first I was like, I think they're confused because I podcast, I don't write blogs. But then I knew it was a huge opportunity to write the book. And so I really took the time to really think about and really dig deep as to how I have evolved over time and how I manage my finances and why I have been doing how, what I've been doing. And I put that into the book. And so allowed me to really write about the money stories, write about how important confidence is, writing about talking money and how having those money conversations, yeah. we typically think about it being, did you pay the bills, pay off the debt? When we can also talk to our partner about, hey, I read this blog post or listened to this episode on this podcast, like a minority money, and they were talking about this and they give this tip and it sounds pretty cool. That is talking money. But we are so afraid of talking money because of the potential arguments, but there's other ways to talk money. So the book really allowed me to discuss and write about what I consider is missing in financial education, which again, the mindset, the money stories, and other things as well that are all in the book. But I think the mindset is so powerful, right? Like, because we have these hidden money, I've heard them called, you said money stories, I've heard them called money scripts. I've heard them called a few different, you know, three different things, but they really frame what yep. we think with money, like our relationship with money, because you do have a relationship with it. It's going to be in and out of your life and different aspects. And then money and vibing is different than wealth. So it's a part of the wealth formula, but it's not the only one, right? And so that's why we talk about you know health, education, fitness, and finance, because I think those all contribute to wealth. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And in my book, I also mm-hmm. talk in a different way uh, how important it is to take care of ourselves especially in the mind, because if we aren't taking time for ourselves, like let's say we've had a busy day, you've got kids, I've got kids, and we don't take time out for ourselves and it comes the end of the day and maybe you have to make some financial decision. If you had taken some time to clear your head, you are more apt to make a better financial decision than just continuing to run a thousand miles an hour because you've got so many things to do. So I think that is just so critical. And the other thing I wanted to tie back to, because you mentioned about how important the mindset is, is that I think is important to share or to not ignore that our mind is so powerful that it's just trying to take care of us and protect us. So if we are thinking we don't have the money, the mind wants to comply for you. So I think it's important to think about it in that aspect as well. That's awesome. I really like that. That makes sense. It makes sense. As you know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, and we're changing the complexion of that. What motivates you to continue to grow and learn? And what motivates you? A few things. 
I have two boys. So definitely my boys, I want to make sure that when they go out in the real world, if you will, that they're ready financially, that they are able to make great financial decisions as well as live a life that they're happy with, that they're not so stressed with money because a lot of us in the world are just stressed because there's not enough money and we have to work a lot. And I think my husband as well, he has given so much time of his life to the military. And of course, being a military member, it takes a lot of sacrifice. So for him and and also for, I love to serve. I love to serve and I love to help, which is why I've been doing and why I do the podcast that I do. So for me, it's just the need that there is out there for people like me. Granted, I can't do it all, which is why I love seeing other Latinas come into the financial space. But really those three things, my boys, my husband, and just the need that there is in the Latino space for people like me. Do you think education plays a big part in both of Yes. But I think it's also, we talked about the mindset. I definitely do. I think another piece too is trusting yourself, right? Because we tend to think, well, I need to get guidance on wealth building, which I think we all do. We need to learn, right? That's part of the education. But we have to remember that with a financial planner, wealth advisor, however, I know there's different names here. I think it's important to know that you have to have a really good relationship with that person, one. And that person really needs to understand your family, your goals, your aspirations, because they're experts, like for yourself, they're experts in finances, they're experts in investing, they're experts in those things, but they're not experts in you. So the only person that's an expert in you is you. And so that's an important piece. So I think you also have to trust yourself that you also know about you. And you may not know things in, about the stock market and that's okay, but you are an expert in you and you have to own that for that financial advisor to be able to help you in the best way that they can. What does Hispanic heritage mean to you? For me, it's a time to celebrate our culture and really to learn. It's also a time to learn more because even though I'm Latina, I still have to learn about history. And there's so many different not nuances. I don't know the exact word, but there's really, especially now in the times that we're living, I think this year, the Hispanic Heritage Month, for me, the meaning has changed slightly, or I'm not saying slightly, it's just changed because with what's been happening in this past year with racial injustice within the Latino community, we need to be discussing that as well the colorism and everything that's going on. So for me, I think it's a chance to have those discussions. Yes, celebrate the heritage, but really taking some time and to pause and reflect and really learn about some of the challenges because Latinos come in all size, shapes, forms, colors. And for me as a Latina, I am of the lighter complexion. I was born in Colombia, but I'm not an immigrant. I really had some advantages that other Latinos didn't have. My father's American. I was born with an American citizen, 
right? And then also my color didn't distinguish me necessarily as a Latina, depending on who you talk to, because in the United States, I am not white enough, but to Latinos, I'm not Latina enough. So there's those things that I think we need to peel back layers on in as a Latino community. And so for me this year, the Mini Hispanic Heritage Month has changed to really having more of the discussion on racism and social injustice and really being open to having those discussions because we all have a lot to learn. I like that. I think I wouldn't say it would be a change. I say it's evolving. I like that. If you had to offer a piece of advice to our listeners, like a part of it, what would that be? Oh, goodness. So definitely try. I talked about trusting ourselves because we are the expert in us and, and we know more than we think as well as really honing, uh, really acknowledging our strengths, our money strengths. We all have money strengths. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're in a terrible position of money, really acknowledge your money strengths. Uh, Work on your financial confidence. And that's an easy way to do that is celebrating what I call money wins. Uh, What maybe you paid off some debt, maybe you saved some money, maybe you had a talk with your partner that didn't end up in an argument. But also it's important to have patience and flexibility because uh, this is not a one and done. This is an ongoing journey that, you know, it's going to have its challenges and you just have to have the confidence, patience and flexible and definitely celebrate always along the way. Celebrating the small wins goes a long way. I think that's great advice. Jim, you know what? This is awesome. Like having you on and like you just anytime you can have another podcast on, it's always fun. Because you get to be, you know, you get to be on the other side of the mic, and then I get to ask someone that's, you know, I mean, you're, you're just awesome. So you're doing uh, incredible work, and thank you for what you're doing and the passion that you really oh, because it comes you so across, and, and you're really, really a great resource for people. So if people want to get more of Jen, what social media platforms do you hang out on? I'm on all of them, but I hang out most on Instagram. So if you just search at Her Dinero Matters, you'll find me. And my website, you can find where all my other channels are at, but it's either Her Dinero Matters, which is mainly on Instagram, or Jen Hemphill, where you can find me. Awesome. Jen, thank you so much for coming on. This was a blast. I'm sure we're going to do some more collaboration. I look forward to working with you some more. And thank you. Oh, thank you. I love that you're doing this because we are needing more people like you, uh, like me that are talking money, because the more that we talk money and the more that people see that looks like them, that has similar story, that's when they're paying attention. So your work is important and I am so glad that you're doing it. Thank you. Thank you. Like I said, coming from a podcaster, I thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. And as we wrap it up here, you know, as you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Thank you guys for your support. And as I said before, you can check out some of the merchandise on minoritymoneymerch.com. And that we do have the El Dinero de la Minoridad. I think I said that right. El Dinero de la Minoridad. We have those shirts available. So check those out. Let us know what you think. And until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? 
If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here, and until next time, 